So um, there's a phrase that you have probably heard. I have no doubt you've seen this, heard this, seen it on T-shirts, Instagram, maybe even a coffee mug or two. It's this phrase right here, keep calm and carry on. You've heard this, right? You've seen this graphic before. In fact, it, it went viral. It continues to do so, but especially in the early 2000s where people started to adapt it to say, keep calm and, and they would give us a list of all these other things. For example, keep calm and have a cupcake because that just makes everything better, right? If things are going poorly, keep calm and have a cupcake. Maybe it's not so much the cupcake, but then you'll see another one, keep calm and eat chocolate, which it's fascinating how many of these have to do with food items. Keep calm and eat something, but not all of them. Keep, keep calm and buy stuff. Maybe that's your default, is anytime you're panicked, anytime life is, is difficult, anytime life throws you a curveball, just go and buy stuff. Or this one is more of me. Keep calm and take a nap. Any of the nappers out there, it's like all the troubles in this world will be there when you wake up. So just keep calm, take a nap, and deal with it whenever you wake up again. But for you here this morning, a Sunday morning on Labor Day weekend, I feel like this one is probably the best. Keep calm and just drink coffee, because life is better when you drink coffee. That phrase, keep calm and carry on, is intended to be motivational. It's intended to be inspiring when things don't go well, when things aren't going the way that you hoped they would, like when Clemson lost last night. We don't need to talk about that, though. Keep calm. No, 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 it's not a place to clap. Not a place to clap. Nope. We're here to talk about Jesus, not your dogs that you can't spell correctly. Anyway. And that's how you cause a split in a church, by the way. <laughs> so keep calm and carry on to help in those difficult moments. Now, it's kind of fun looking at all the different adaptations with all the other things that people throw in there on memes on social media. But the origin of that graphic and that phrase, keep calm and carry on, the origin, the history of it is actually pretty interesting. It came out of England, where the British government, coming into the beginnings of World War II, it was 1939, where they had three different motivational slogans, phrases, that they were using to help the public keep calm and carry on. This was the third one. The other two, they plastered on posters all over the country. But this third one of keep calm and carry on, you can even see the original right there, one of the very few originals, they kept in reserve. Because they kept that one, specifically that phrase of keep calm and carry on, they were only going to publicize that if there was a German invasion. So they were prepared. They said, if our country is invaded, then we want our people to know. We want to be ready to help our people navigate potentially the most chaotic and panic-stricken moment of their lives. So they were all ready with their slogan, what they wanted their people to know, keep calm and carry on. They printed two and a half million of these and just stored them, waiting for an invasion, but the invasion never came. And so they had two and a half million keep calm and carry on posters. What do they do with them? Most of them, almost all of them were recycled and destroyed other than a very small number. So they're very rare. One of those was found in the early 2000s, and then it just took our country um, by viral all over social media. Now you see the keep calm and eat chocolate, for example. But the whole point of me telling you that is that the government was expecting there to be some problem. There was an expectation of panic and chaos and difficulty lying ahead. And so they thought the best thing that we could do is be prepared to help our people know what to think and know 
moving forward through a very difficult time. The slogan, the phrase they wanted their people to know, as you know, keep calm and carry on, which is actually, as we're going to see, it's actually pretty biblical for the most part. I don't think that was their intent, but it's actually pretty biblical. You don't need to put on a poster. You don't need to tell people to panic and freak out. We do that all on our own, don't we? (laughs) You don't need to tell somebody to freak out and panic about anything. No, we can do that just fine. But we do need some help figuring out how to respond and handle difficult moments throughout our lives, especially when the odds seem to be stacked against us. So you turn on the news, you open up your news feed, you pay attention to the headlines, not just locally, but around the world, and it's easy to be weighted down by them. They are heavy. I mean, I, I feel it too. I mean, you, you are in this tension of, I want to be informed on what's going on, but every time I get informed, I just feel heavier and more at a loss. And you can be burdened by those. Absolutely, I am as well. But I'll tell you, It's not just the headlines that weigh me down personally, but it's also your headlines. It's my headlines. It's the headlines of your life and the headlines of your family, the tensions in marriage, the medical concerns, the medical diagnosis. It's the dysfunctions within your extended family. It's the drama that happens at work and in the neighborhood. It's it's all of those headlines that become very difficult. And they weigh us all down, me and you as well. So here's my hope. My hope, not just that you would keep calm and carry on, even more so than that, my hope is that you would find some encouragement today. In fact, this entire series, Against All Odds, when when you feel like you are up against all the odds, when the odds are stacked against you, I just want you to be encouraged. Doesn't mean that the problems get fixed, doesn't mean that there's a solution that we necessarily figure out. We don't always solve the problem, but I do want you to walk away. I hope and pray you walk away being encouraged. Not by anything that I say, not by a fancy slogan, but by the truth of God's word and who he is. That if you can begin to internalize and begin to think of what are your current headlines that are just causing some panic and disruption in your own life, and if you can walk away knowing who God is and the truth of God's word, I think you'll find encouragement there. At least that's my my hope and my prayer. In Hebrews, this will kind of be a backdrop for this entire series against all odds as we look at different people throughout Scripture that have been dealing with just that. Moments in their life, situations that they're up against where the odds are stacked against them, and it requires them to not just make it through, but it requires them to trust in God. So here's the backdrop behind all of this. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23. I'm going to put it on the screen. If you got your Bible, great. Um, but I want us to read this aloud together. It's a great verse. It's going to be, like I said, the backdrop for this entire series. Read it with me. So let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Oh, that's such a good passage. We hold tightly, tightly, without wavering, without faulting, to what? To the hope that we affirm. Because, and this is the whole point of this whole verse, because he can be, what was the word? Trusted. We hold tightly to the hope that we affirm because he can be trusted, specifically trusted to keep his promise. So it's easy to panic. It's easy to freak out. It's easy to get weighed down and burdened, but those are easy and those are natural. So can we, throughout the next several weeks, 
can we hold tightly to the hope that we affirm because God can be trusted? And can we learn what those promises are so we can hold tightly to those things even when ourselves, our life, our family, and the world around us seems to be panicked? Let's pray. We'll dive into the story this morning. God, thank you so much for the truth that we find in your word. I pray that we either hear it for the first time, maybe we even rediscover who you are and the truth that is in your word so that we can do just that, that we can hold tightly to the hope that we have because you can be trusted. I pray that our trust in you grows. I pray that our hope in you grows and that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of our hearts individually. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So the story we're going to look at, the against all odds story, is in Exodus chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles, be there. We'll be in Exodus 14 the rest of the morning. If you don't have a Bible, right out here where you got coffee, keep calm and drink coffee. If you'll get a Bible, uh, make sure you've got one, bring it with you, take notes, follow along. It's so important that we are learning the truth of God's word and not just hearing about it. So that also helps you during the week. So if you don't have a Bible, make sure you grab one um, for next week as we keep studying through. I need to give you a little background on Exodus 14, though. Exodus 14 is picking up the story of the Israelites being delivered out of Egypt, but it's towards the end of that story. If you know the story of Israel in Egypt, know that Israel, the Israelites, God's people, were slaves in Egypt, and then they cried out to God because they didn't want to be slaves anymore. God heard that cry and sent a man, a man to go and deliver them out of Egypt. That man's name was Moses. That's right. Burning bush home moment. So God sends Moses to go talk to Pharaoh. He says those so famous words, let my people, do you know it? Go. That's right. Said by Moses, not Charlton Heston. But Moses said it, let my people go. Pharaoh said No. And so after he said no, then God continued to do what we call the 10 plagues to show Pharaoh and all of Egypt that God is exactly who he claimed to be, the one and only God, so that Pharaoh would loosen his grip on God's people. Well, after all the plagues finally finished, Pharaoh had had enough and said, yes, please. He relented. Get these people out of here because your God is too much. Your God is too strong and too powerful. And so he released, Pharaoh released all the Israelites, and now they're leaving, and God is leading the Israelites to a place on the beach of what we now call the Red Sea. That brings us to Exodus chapter 14. And notice what begins to happen. Somebody has a change of heart and a change of mind. Exodus 14, verse 5. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials Change their minds. What have we done? Letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left him with a fist raised in defiance. Verse 9, look at this. The Egyptians chased after them with all, all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. So put yourself in the Israelites' shoes for a moment. You've been enslaved for generations. And finally, through the power of God and his servant Moses, you are released. You are finally free to go. So God has led you to now the Red Sea. 
And as you're at the Red Sea, you notice behind you that entire army that once enslaved you is now chasing after you once again. You are literally stuck between the sea and your enemies, trapped, no way out, nowhere to go, no solution in sight or in mind. It feels like there's no possible way this is going to end well. That's what it feels like and looks like to be against the odds. So here, the Israelites are in that place, quite literally. So notice how they respond after Pharaoh and his, his officials change their mind. We're going to let you go. Just kidding. We're actually going to take you back. So they chase after him with the entire force of the Egyptian army. Here's the Israelites' response, which we can kind of understand where they're coming from. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached the people of Israel, as they approached the people of Israel, look, they looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and then they said to Moses. Now, notice what they're going to do here. They cry out to God, and then they start directing their specific, and I would even say rhetorical questions, to Moses. And they go through a list of them. They are panicked. They are distraught. They are upset and terrified. So they say things to Moses like, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Now, if I remember the story correctly, we could go back and check. I don't think Moses forced them to leave Egypt. Remember, this whole thing started because they wanted to leave Egypt, and now they're having second thoughts because it's not going the way that they had planned. We say some crazy things when we're in the middle of panic, don't we? Why did you make us do this? Verse 12, didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. See, the Israelites started to change their perspective even. They were the ones that cried out to God, free us, help us, get us out of here. And now they're saying, no, send us back. That was better. I'm like, is it really better? Keyword there, when they saw the sea and they saw the Egyptian in all of their force, what was the key word there? They panicked. They panicked. Panic is a very interesting thing of what happens to our bodies, like mentally and emotionally, even physically, when we begin to panic. But I want us to pay attention to why we panic. There's really two factors that lead us to panicking in this context and just in our everyday life. Two main areas, aspects of panicking. The first has to do with assumptions. We make a lot of assumptions, which leads us to panic. Meaning, here for the Israelites, they made the assumption that they were going to die. Right? It even says here, we'd rather be slaves to the Egyptians than a corpse in the wilderness. They are assuming they are going to die. They're assuming there's no way out of this. They are assuming God isn't going to do anything. They have made so many assumptions because for them, there's no other possible solution or outcome other than death and defeat. So they have already assumed the sea on one side, the army on the other, and they have made the assumption that it's over. We do that in our own lives too. We're stuck between difficulty and difficulty, and we see no way out. So we assume there is no way out. Just because we can't see it, we begin to make a lot of assumptions. That's one part to panic. The other part that leads to panic has to do with what we're actually seeing as true. In fact, what tends to happen is we're seeing a half-truth. 
Once again, let's look at the Israelites. Is it true that they were stuck between the sea and the Egyptians? Not if that was true. Yes, absolutely. That's very true. But that's all they saw. They're missing the other part of truth. The whole thing that God's bigger than the Egyptians. Like, didn't you just pay attention to the other 10 plagues? Did you, did you forget that already? So yes, there's a, a reality, a current reality that's absolutely true. They're in a tough spot. And yes, the odds are against them. Yes, it's true they're stuck between the Red Sea and the army, but they're failing to see God in the mix of it. You understand, we make assumptions, and then we're only seeing a half truth. Like I said, we do this in our life all the time. We make assumptions and we only see half the truth. We make another assumption and then we only see half the truth. And I'm convinced, because I've seen this before, I'm convinced that I would say, I mean, you can, you can quote me on this one. In the next three to four months, we in North Georgia will experience widespread panic over something. We will all see something <laughs> and freak out. We will see one snowflake. And yes, is that snowflake true? Yes. But we're only seeing half the truth. Is it also true that we will survive it? Yes. <laughs> we make a lot of assumptions. We see one snowflake and we assume that the world is going to end. We assume we will be stuck in our homes for weeks and weeks on end. So we must storm the grocery stores and get all the supplies we can possibly get. We panic because of assumptions and only seeing half truths. We see it in our own lives. We see it in the Israelites' situation as well. So here, I say all that. We read all that backstory to get to this next part, verse 13 and 14. I told you earlier, with all of your personal headlines that are weighing you down, the personal things that you're panicking over and struggling through right now, that I hope you just find encouragement through it. Doesn't mean that it always gets solved, but I'm hoping you find encouragement from who God is and the truth in his word. Here's where that's going to come from. So the scene, stuck between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army, the Israelites are freaking out, they're panicking, they're terrified, they're mad, they're upset, they're all the things. And so then Moses, the leader, stands up and does what a good leader does. He addresses them. Here's Moses' quick speech to a panicked group of people. Verse 13. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself, look, will fight for you. Just stay calm. Just stay calm. That's where you can kind of hear a little bit of that, <clears throat> keep calm and carry on. He stands in front of a panicked group of people and he says, stay still, stay still, stop, stop running around, stop freaking out, stop trying to run back to the Egyptians, stay still because God is going to rescue. You're going to see God make a way out that you could never have done or seen or expected on your own. Stay calm because God, the Lord himself, the creator of the universe, he himself is going to fight for you. So just stay calm calm. See, now what Moses is not doing is giving just cliche words of encouragement, right? We know what that feels like when you're going through something difficult, when you are panicked and somebody comes up to you, Petra, and says, they're there. It'll be okay. Like, that's not helpful at all. 
It's coming from a very hollow place. It's a very cliche thing to say. There's no truth to back it up. Because if you're somebody that is getting the there, there, it's okay, you're like, no, it's not. You don't know what this is like. You don't know what I'm going through. You have no clue. There's no truth. It's not rooted in anything. But understand, Moses has what he is saying. Stay still. Stay calm. Don't be afraid. That is all rooted in truth. It's rooted in the very promise that God gave the Israelites. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to see that truth. It's not going to be on the screen. This is why you have to have your Bibles. All right. If you go back a few pages to Exodus chapter 6. So here, remember the timeline. This is important. They are out of, out of Egypt, technically. The plagues have already happened, but now they're obviously in a pretty tough spot. Exodus chapter 6 is before the plagues, before they had seen God do some amazing things. And notice, this is a conversation that starts out between God and Moses, then it'll be Moses and the people. Exodus chapter 6, verse 5, if you're following along, God says to Moses, you can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. You know another word for covenant? Promise. I'm very aware, God says, of my promise, what I said to them. Remember, think back, Hebrews chapter 10, what we read at the very, very beginning. He can be trusted to keep his promise. So God is saying it to Moses. I'm aware of their situation. I'm aware of my promise. Now, verse six, therefore say to the people of Israel, this is God commanding Moses to say these exact words to the people of Israel. I am the Lord. I will free you from your, uh, your oppression and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. That's the promise that God gave the people of Israel. That's the promise that Moses spoke to them before the plagues even began, before they left Israel. So for Moses... He's reminding them. He's pointing back to the truth and the promises that God had already given them. Stay calm. He talked about it, the powerful acts of judgment and the strong hand of God that he would free you. Stay still and watch God do what he's already promised you to do. Now, here's a difficult reality. I mean, that, we could, we could, that sounds super great and super encouraging, but here is a, a difficult and sad reality. Verse 9, right after Moses gives that promise from God to Israel, here's the Israelites' response. Again, this is pre-plagues. Verse 9, so Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. There is a difficult reality there of sometimes we refuse to listen to the truths of God and the promises of God because we are just too focused on panic and difficulty and we are just too discouraged. So fast forward, Exodus 14. The Israelites are in another difficult moment and he points back to the exact same truth and the exact same promise. Stay still because God is going to rescue you He promised, 
and he's good on his word, he can be trusted, he is faithful, so just watch him do what he's already promised you. Second part of that, stay calm. He promised to fight for you. He promised that you would be his people and that he would be your God. He promised you that. Stay calm and let him make good on his word. So all that Moses is trying to get across in these few lines to the people of Israel, I would boil it down to this one sentence. Stand firm in the truth of God. Anytime we begin to panic, stand firm in the truth of God. Anytime that we're facing the sea on one side and enemies on the other side, we stand firm in the truth of God. What are those truths for us? Because we cannot take a promise meant for Israel and apply it to us. Like, we can't do that. But there are plenty of promises that God has given beyond just the Israelites that we can hold on to as well. Those promises that give us hope that we hold tightly to because he can be trusted to keep his promise. Some of those promises are this, the promise of provision. If you read through Matthew chapter 6, we actually read this in our last series a couple weeks ago, talking about how we don't have to worry about anything because God is a good, good heavenly father and he knows what we need and he desires to help us. So we're given a promise of provision, providing for us. It's what God did to the Israelites and it's what God continues to do in our lives as well. For the Israelites, they saw no possible way out of this mess. Yet God was going to provide a way out. He said, I've got this. You can't do this on your own. I've got to provide a way for you. He gives us promises of provision. We also see a promise of protection. For the Israelites, it was the Lord God is going to himself fight for you. We still can hold on to that promise for us today, though. Romans chapter 8, if God is for you, who could possibly be against you? Read through the rest of Romans chapter 8, and you'll see that nothing, absolutely nothing, Paul says, can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can come between us. He fights for you. He fights for me. He gives us protection. Does that mean he prevents all bad things from happening every time? No. Does that mean he protects us and guards our hearts and minds? We read that in Philippians chapter 4. Absolutely. The Psalms is littered with this. You will find well over 50 examples of God being referred to as the protector or being under his protection throughout the Psalms. Here's one example. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress. Here it is, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will be the one to stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Why? Because he is my protector. Because he gives me a promise of protection. So anytime we are tempted to panic and freak out, stand firm in the truth of God. Stand firm in the truth of God and not make assumptions and immediately think it's not going to work out and there's no way out and it's just all going to end terribly. No, those are a lot of assumptions, which we said earlier lead to panic. Don't just pay attention to the half-truth. Are there difficulties in life? Are you struggling with real things? Yes. Are there problems in our world? Absolutely. But don't miss the full truth that God is with us, that God is walking with us, that nothing surprises God, and that he is ultimately our protector. 
Side note, if you're, if you're in the middle of something where panic seems to be your go-to right now, would you just commit to reading through the Psalms? Just keep reading through the Psalms. Start there. Read a Psalm a day. There is a lot of chapters in Psalms. You can be in there for quite a while. But what you'll find is promise after promise, example after example of being in need and desperate and God coming to our rescue. You'll see that theme again and again and again throughout Psalms. So you might need to just dive into Psalms for a while. Forget whatever else we're studying as a church. You need to be in Psalms to see God as your protector, your savior, your fortress, your refuge, your shield. And you'll see that time and time and time again throughout Psalms. So that's Moses' encouragement to the Israelites. Stand firm in God's truth. Stay calm and stay put. Don't freak out because God gives you promises that you can, you can hold tightly to. This next verse is interesting. It's kind of funny, actually. So you have this Moses leader that comes up and tells people, stay still, stay calm. The Lord will provide. The Lord will protect. You kind of get that. And then you have verse 15, where now it's not Moses and the people, it's God and Moses. Verse 15, one verse after he said that to the people of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff, raise your hand over the sea, divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Now, two things strike me here. The first one is just the nonchalantness of God saying, Moses, just pick up your staff, raise your hand and go through the sea. Duh. I'm thinking like, like there's, there's not like more to it than that. It's, and Moses, I will do something you would never have imagined. Like there's not any buildup. It's just God saying, like, you know who I am, right? Like, why are you worried? The other part that is striking is the first part. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Here's what I picture. Maybe this is just me. Moses stands before the people of God who are panicked and freaking out, looks at them and says, people of God, stay calm, stay still. The Lord's got it. He walks away from his people. He goes into his tents, drops on his knees and begins freaking out in front of God. That's what I picture happening. He keeps it all together with his people. And as soon as he gets alone between him and God, he begins to panic. So God has to tell Moses, I've got this. And I, I bring that up for this reason. Many of you in this room are the Moses. You're the one helping other people keep it together. You're going to other people saying, no, 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 God's got this and he is faithful and you can get through this and he's always with you and he's not going to leave you and keep moving towards him. Like you're that person. But then as soon as you get away from people, you're a mess and you are full of panic and you're like, I don't know how I can keep this together. Yet you're telling everybody else to keep it together. So I want you to see how God works here. Moses encouraged the people of God then God had to be the one to encourage Moses. And Moses gets encouraged by God very differently than how the people of God were encouraged. So Moses encouraged the people with God's promise of protection and provision. God encouraged Moses with the promise of power. The promise of power. In other words, Moses, you're going to do something that you could never do on your own. Moses, you're going to walk through something that you could never walk through on your own. But Moses, I'm going to do it with you. And so therefore you can. 
Man, that's a powerful promise. That you, God, and you are going to walk through something you could never walk through and survive on your own. That God is with you, and he's going to give you the power you need to get to the other side. When just a few moments ago it seemed impossible. That's the promise of power. And God's encouraging Moses, let's go. Moses told the people, stand firm in the truth of God. God tells Moses, get going in the direction I'm leading you. Remember, a lot of the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt, and God said, no, 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 no. We're not going that direction. Get moving in the direction that I am leading you. And let me just tell you, that's where you find the power of God. When you move in the direction that God is leading you, even if it looks like you're walking into the sea, if that's where God's leading you, God will do something you could have never imagined. God's going to do something in you and through you and with you that you could have never done on your own. You will make it through something that everybody else wouldn't know how you survived it, but you survive it because God's power is at work within you. So sometimes, yes, we need to stand firm in the truth of God. Other times, we need to just get moving in the direction that God is leading us in. It's easy to let panic and fear paralyze us and just stay put and not do anything. Yes, there's a time to wait on the Lord, but when God says go, we go. When God says start walking to the sea, we walk into the sea. Side note, I love the instructions that God gave Moses. They're not complicated. You would think parting the sea would be a very complicated task. God tells Moses, pick up your staff, raise your hand. You can do it, Moses. That's all I'm asking you to do. And so often we think that that power of God thing is super complicated. It's not intended to be. So whatever you're stuck between the sea and the enemies, stand firm in the truth of God and get moving in the direction God is leading. And it's probably not as complicated as you made it out to be. Is your marriage in trouble? Go to counseling. Are your finances in trouble? Trust them with the Lord. Are you having some internal stresses and anxieties? Begin to read through the gospel starting in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And as you follow God, I'm not saying all the problems go away, but you will experience and see the power of God and you will do something. You will walk through something you could have never walked through without him. Now, it feels like that would be a good stop to end and like end the sermon. Some of you are like, yeah, Brian, that's a very good time to like end the sermon. Last part, I want you to see this because there's a next part of the story that doesn't have to be in here. It doesn't add to the rescue aspect of Israel, but it's still important and I want you to see why. Verse 17, this is after... God told Moses, here's what you're going to do. You're going to part the Red Sea. It's super easy. Raise your hand and it'll work. Verse 17, God says this, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Do you notice the word that got used again and again and again? Did you catch it? Glory. See, now God is not just saying, I'm going to rescue you. He says, now I want you to understand how I'm thinking. He says, the way that I'm going to rescue you is really for my glory. Glory is just a word that really we would translate as fame, that everybody would know God. To put God's glory on display is to make God's name known to all people in his might and his power and his sovereignty. It's all about his glory. Let me say it to you this way. If God decided to rescue Israel by giving Israel strength. 
So then Israel, stuck between the Red Sea and their enemies, God gave them so much strength that they were able to attack the Pharaoh's army and destroy and defeat Pharaoh's army. Who gets all the credit? Anybody else that had seen that battle take place, who gets the applause? Way to go, who? Israel. Wow, did you see how strong Israel was? Did you see how mighty Israel was? Did you see how they defeated, Israel defeated the Egyptians? All of a sudden, whose glory is on display? Israel's. And God makes it very clear. It is for his name and his glory to be on display. I bring it up for this possible reason, that maybe, just maybe, the moments of difficulty and the moments of panic in our lives and in our world, maybe God wants to do something that makes his name more known. It doesn't make our lives easier, but it makes his glory be put on display. Let me say it like this. The glory of God can be displayed when the people of God are against all odds. Your struggles, your difficulties, the moment of, moments of panic, we stand firm in the truth of God. We move in the direction that God is leading us. And we allow God to do something that makes his name known to all people, not just for Israel, but for all the Egyptians as well. You probably know how the story ends. If not, let me read it for you in verse 21. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea. See, he told you it wasn't that hard. And the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with the walls of water on each side. Moments of panic. Sea on one side, enemies on the other. Moses said, stand firm in the truth of God. Know the promises of God. And then God turned around and said, yes, and follow me wherever I lead you. And I will, not you will be able to, but I will give you a power that allows you to walk through anything because I will continue to be with you no matter what. I'm going to give you one last encouragement. Again, I said my hope is that you'd walk away encouraged. One last encouragement that isn't for the Israelites, but that's specifically for us. Well-known passage. If you know it, I want you to say it with me. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You know, that one verse that many of us know so easily has all three of those promises in it. Promise of provision, protection, as well as power. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's provision, that God provided a way out of our sin. And that's not something we could ever do on our own. God provided a way out. Protection, that God is always fighting for us, that whoever believes in him will not perish. No, he's fighting for your life, quite literally, fighting for your life because he doesn't want to see anything happen to you. But we know that the wages of sin is death. So God had to fight a battle on our behalf, a battle that we will lose every time. So he fought for us. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life because God made good on his promise to raise Jesus from the dead, that takes power. A resurrection power that he then extends to you and me if we call ourselves believers. So hold tightly to the hope that you affirm because God can be trusted.
to keep his promise of provision, he'll provide a way out for you, protection, he will continue to fight for you, and power, he will walk with you through things you can never walk through on your own. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your promises. Thank you so much for the truth of who you are and the truth that we find in your word. I pray that in the moments of panic, I pray in the moments of difficulty, in the moments of struggle in our own lives or in the lives of of people around us, as we turn on news and headlines and see what's happening in our world, but also when we walk in our home. God, it's easy. Nobody needs to tell us to panic and freak out, but we do need the reminders to stay still, stay calm, and to follow you. So I pray that we do that. And it seems maybe too simplistic, but following you is not intended to be complicated. It's not easy, but you walk with us the entire way. Thank you for not making us walk through this life alone. Thank you for being with us every step of the way. And I pray that we continue to put our trust more and more in you. In Jesus' name, amen.